Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, worship band, and welcome. And thank you for all of you guys being here today. Thank you for everybody who's joining us online. We're so thankful for the opportunity to help all of you guys connect with God and with his people. And we're so thankful for every possible way that's being made possible. Thank you for all the tech people that are doing so many new jobs and the worship team and everybody. We're just so thankful for all of you guys. And I don't think we'll ever take for granted that there's living, breathing people in the same room again, will we? It's a blessing. So thank you for that. This summer, our theme is Others First. Uh, We're going back and remembering that we and every church who really gets what Jesus was trying to say will always put God himself and others above themselves. That, that, That is how we show our worship to God. Last week, we started this new part of the series where we're actually focusing on the things Jesus taught us to pray about. We spent a lot of time, if you missed that, you should go back and watch that online. But it's, uh, we talk about what it means that God is our Heavenly Father and why Jesus asked us to start our prayers that way. Not that we have to say our Heavenly Father, our Father in Heaven, not that we have to use those terms, but that we approach Him as a loving Father, the source of our identity, the source of our discipline, the source of our purpose, as someone who loves us, but also someone who has a heavenly perfect perspective, which none of us have. Only God knows exactly where each one of us are in every good or bad direction we have walked. Only God knows where we need to be, and only God knows how to get there. And so collectively, the only thing, the only hope that we have is to be able to consistently resync ourselves with God, our Heavenly Father. And if we do that, then we have a chance of whatever other directions we may be coming from, we have a chance of actually getting where he needs us to be. Amen? Is this making sense so far? Awesome. So that's where we went last time. Today we're talking about the next line in the prayer. When I was growing up as a kid, I memorized this in the King James Version and also the NIV. Does this sound familiar to anybody? So that prayer began, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then later, Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. We still have that big word, hallowed. It's a good word. We just don't use it a lot anymore. Here's what it means. It means exalted or it means set apart. It means uh, kind of made famous, if you will. It means intentionally glorified. That hallowed is not a word we use a lot, but it's, it's a cool word that means we treat your name special. Some modern translations say things like, may your name be kept holy or help us to honor your name. See, in the scripture, God's character and God's name are so important to him that they almost take off, take on a life of their own. Uh, Even some of the Psalms and some of the prayers that you read throughout the scripture, people are actually saying, we praise your holy name. It's almost like his name is him, if that makes sense, and, and, and when we praise his character. Uh, one example is Psalm seven seventeen, one of many in the Old Testament. It says, I will thank the Lord because he is just. We're going to look at the concept of justice some more this morning. It says, I will thank the Lord because he is just. There's his character. And I will sing praise to the name 
of the Lord Most High. This is that idea of hallowed be your name. May your name be exalted. May we praise your name. May what we do and what we say cause your name to taste good and smell good to the people around us. Exodus 20, verse 7, it's right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. It's one of those. It says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Or, KJV again, uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, I, I've got to derail just a little bit because this is one of my pet peeves. I hope you forgive me, but we're going to get back on track in just a second. This idea of misusing his name, I'm going to tell you what that's primarily about in a second. But it's got to include using God's name in any other way than as a name. Are you following me on this? I know personally, if I would, I would not like it if you guys started using my name to express your fear. Oh my John! I don't think I'd like that very much. Or, or your anger. You hurt yourself or something goes wrong. You go, John! Or maybe you mix my name with some other curse word. I don't, I don't think I'd like that very much. Or if you're laughing at how silly someone else is and you go, oh, Johnny. I don't think that's a good idea. Are you with me? And it just is something dies inside me when I hear people that I know love God and really have a deep desire to make his name be famous and his name be awesome and exalted. But they say, oh, Lordy, oh, Lord, oh, my God. I just, I, I don't think that's the main thing this is saying here, but I think it's important and I just had to say it out loud. Okay. Here's what it's really saying, though. To take God's name in vain, to misuse his name, what that command is really about is to take on his name and then not live like it in any context. Not just the things you say, but the things you do or the things you don't say and the things you don't do. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he's saying, look, you can't say you're going to be the people of God and not be the people of God. And that's the heart of what that's about. There's a wonderful story I'd love to share with you this morning. Hopefully this is familiar to at least most of you, but it's just a great story. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you've got your bulletin, you can see the outline in there. Uh, if you've got your Bible or Bible app, you could actually look it up and bookmark it. Uh, however you want to join in or just listen. But this is a story of a king named Jehoshaphat. And in this era of Israel, the, the country had split in two. So there were two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And uh, the kingdom of Judah had its capital in Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat was the king. Most of the kings in both of these kingdoms were very corrupt and evil. Jehoshaphat was one of the few who was actually someone who loved God. But he got some bad news one day. He found out that three other countries had united and were on their way to fight them. And he reacted just the same way most of us would. Second Chronicles 20, verse 3. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. But watch how he responds. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. This is a crazy season for all of us, okay? Again, you don't need me to keep reminding you that. I'm just acknowledging the truth. There's a lot of things that are scary, a lot of things that are confusing, a lot of things that are angering. There are a lot of different things going on right now, and it's terrifying. Let's be honest. It's scary. It's out of our control. Almost everything that we're dealing with on a daily basis and hearing about, we really can't control these things. However, this is a pretty good way to respond to anything like that. 
Admit you're terrified. Go to God for guidance and get your friends to fast and pray with you. Does that make sense? It's a really good start. So that's what happened. And they all gathered in the capital, in Jerusalem. And then he prays this prayer with them. And notice how he's approaching God here. I think it'll sound very familiar. He starts out, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Do you get that? You're our God and you're in heaven. Sound a little bit like our father in heaven. Next, he spends about a paragraph or two talking about how he wants God's name to be honored and God's name to be set apart. And he's saying, hey, and by the way, don't forget, God, that everything that happens to us is going to be something that people talk about you about. So please help. That's may your name be praised. That's hallowed be your name. And then he takes his request to God. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? Talking about those three big armies that he can't control. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Now, if you don't like to memorize things very much, but you're willing to memorize just one prayer in the Bible, I recommend the Lord's Prayer. Okay? I really do. And it's on the back of your handout in here, the the little extra one in one version, any version you want, I recommend that. But if you were going to memorize two, I recommend the Lord's Prayer and this one right here by Jehoshaphat. This is a really good prayer. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. That is a really good prayer. And God responds to that kind of prayer. In fact, in the moment, he responds instantly and he sends a prophecy to one of their worship leaders, a guy named Jehaziel. He was one of the clan of Asaph. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see that name a lot because there are several people from the clan of Asaph who wrote a bunch of the songs we still have in our scriptures today. But Jehaziel stood up and he said, hey, God just gave me a word for you guys. I I, I just heard from God and here's what he says. Listen, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's pretty good. That's pretty encouraging news, right? Now, this is a big moment. If Jehaziel were wrong, if he were just standing that up, he's trying to get attention or whatever other random thing, why he would have said that it wasn't from God, they're all going to die. They're going to lose their everything, their kingdom, (laughs) everything. But they're trusting, are we going to believe this is a word from God? And they do. And so we see what happens the very next morning. Well, you see that in a second. First, what happens exactly this moment? They're watching their king. And they all do what he does, and it's pretty cool. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Now, I've shared several times over the last year or so that what the core idea of worship is, is not so much singing songs or going through a pattern of we sing and we pray and we take communion or something like that, which a lot of us assume worship is. All of those things are expressions of what worship really is. And here's what worship really is. It's pledging allegiance to God as king. It's fully surrendering to him. It's saying, you are in charge, not me. I surrender all. 
And to physically express this by bowing down is a pretty powerful thing. And that is exactly what King Jehoshaphat and all the people are doing at this moment. They are worshiping. That doesn't mean they're on their faces going, oh God, you are my God. They are surrendering. The worship is the surrender. The worship is the bowing down. It is the pledging allegiance. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, let me stop and say real quick though, notice what's happening here is they're acting on this. They have completely surrendered to God. They have trusted that the battle is his, not theirs. They still don't know the plan 100%, but they know they've got to somehow go out there somehow. They've got to do something, so they're on their way. Watch how the story unfolds. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. Always remember that whenever you see the word belief, or the word faith in Scripture, it's tied to action. God's dream is never that we just say, hmm, I agree with that. His dream is that we go, oh, okay, I'll do that then. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Now we see in several other battles that they usually had some worship people involved. There's some drums, there's some shofars, trumpets, there's some other things. Uh, that, that's not uncommon. Uh, kind of like, you know, the drum and bugle corps for the army, especially back in the day when they'd march into battle and have the drummers going. But this is different. These, you, you, just imagine how this looks. It's not exact. That's the best I could find to give you something visual. But imagine how this would be. You've got all the soldiers with their armor and their, their weapons and their everything else, their training. And then out in front is the worship band, and they've got nothing. <laughs> They're out in front. Can you imagine how scary that would be? <clears throat> how crazy that would look to all the enemies of God. And yet watch what happens. First, let's say this together. We must celebrate God's goodness and glory. One more time. We must celebrate God's goodness and glory. And this is especially true in times when we're terrified. This is especially true, especially true in times where we're realizing we are out of control. It's especially true when we're in a season where we realize I have to have God come through on this one, or I've got nothing at all. We've got to hold on to, we've got to celebrate, we've got to remember in those moments that he is good, and he is powerful, that he is heavenly, and he is our Father, and that he cares about his name just as much as we do, and even more. We've got to hold on to that, we've got to proclaim that, we've got to act on that, all the time, and especially in the moments when that is hard. And this is where we find the true power. This is where we see God showing up. In Acts chapter 16, there's a story of the Apostle Paul and his assistant Silas. They are unjustly arrested and beaten and thrown into a dungeon and locked into shackles. And what is their response? They worship. They sing. They pledge allegiance. And they also sing praise songs 
from down there. Freaks everybody out. And by the end of that night, God had stepped in and set all the prisoners free, and they had led the jailer and his entire family to the Lord. That family became one of the foundations of what became the Philippian church, who Paul later wrote to from another prison, again, unjustly in prison, but he's writing the book of Philippians, as we know it today, to those people, among others, who had joined that group of believers, that church there. And that's where we get his famous line, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. This is, this is what we have to do, and it's so hard. But it's even more important that we remember and celebrate together that God is good, that He is powerful, that He has plans that He will make happen, that He wants us to be part of those plans. That is, this is the times when we are terrified, the times when we are really aware of how out of control we are, are the times we must remember the most and celebrate together the most that God is good and powerful. Watch what happens in this story. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. In fact, this ended up a total victory for Israel. Not one person from God's people died, and every single person in all three of the other armies died. Complete victory. Word got out pretty fast. And 2 Chronicles 20, 30 says, the fear of God came over them. That's all the people around as well as Israel. And so Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Notice it's not Jehoshaphat that everyone's praising. Notice that suddenly the worship band that was at the front of the army is not super famous and selling out big auditoriums. The glory went to God. It was his name. It was his battle. It was his plan. It was his action. And them submitting to that, no matter how terrifying and crazy that seemed, is why things worked. And everybody got it. It was such a dramatic example, it was hard to miss. And that is why we find our unity in this. Let's say this together. We must unite around God's goodness and glory. One more time. We must unite around God's goodness and glory. It's not just that we need to remember it or say it out loud. This is our marching orders. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is our identity. We unite around, we are going to make God's name honored on this earth. We're going to proclaim who he really is. We're going to live out the destiny that he planned for us to live out. Again, this is always true. But this is especially true when we disagree about stuff. Let's be honest. We're always going to disagree about something. If you don't believe me, go out to eat with a bunch of people you love. Watch how everybody orders different things. Are you with me? And that's okay. And we're okay with that because we love them. And we all went to that. It's, it's, sometimes it's even hard to choose which restaurant. Are you with me? Because we have such different tastes, literally and metaphorically, in every direction. It's just, it's just how it is. That's nothing bad. But you've got to find something to unite about. You've got to find something to find purpose about. You've got, and guess what? We unite around the goodness and the glory of God. 
Again, we're resyncing ourselves with God, our Heavenly Father, and that is how we have any hope of all, at all. I, I don't have any hope at all or desire to make you dis disagree or agree with me about any of my personal opinions. My hope, my prayer, my desire is that you and I both share a passion to lay all of our opinions and ideas at the feet of Jesus Christ. That we resync daily with God, our Heavenly Father, and we say, seriously, where am I really? Where should I be? How do I get there? That's my passion. That's my dream. That's God's. And that's what we're looking at in all of these issues today. Let's go on through the story. It's going to get really practical here in a second. 2 Chronicles 20, 32. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Following the ways of his father Asa, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Notice he didn't just say it was true or sing about it being true. He actually did stuff. However, during his reign, however, he failed to remove all the pagan shrines. And the people never fully committed themselves to follow the God of their ancestors. This is a hard moment. I wish I could take that one out. Because I'd like the story to be really simple. I'd like to be able to go, Jehoshaphat. Good guy. Period. It's not exactly true. In fact, because he did not eradicate all these things, because he didn't stand up and change the things that were still wrong in his otherwise good kingdom... In spite of all that he did and all that he saw God do and how they celebrated that, he didn't take action against the things that were wrong. Because of that, they got worse and worse. And several generations and kings later, it gets so bad that God says this through the prophet Isaiah. He's speaking to the few people who are still even going through the motions in this kingdom and sort of worshiping God. God says this, Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. Your celebrations are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. He'd rather them not even go through the motions at all than to go through the motions and not live justly. To not make his will happen in their country, in their homes, in their own personal lives in their places of worship. That's a scary thought. And again, this is a good guy, right? This is Jehoshaphat. This is a pretty good season, but it went south because people were afraid to address the things that were wrong. Both of these are so important to God because his name depends, his character depends on that his people actually live out his will. Exodus 23, verse 2 says, You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you are called to testify in a dispute, do not be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. And brothers and sisters, let, let me tell you right now, again, you, you're never, ever, ever going to hear anything from me that's a political statement. When I'm speaking to you, those of you who know me on a personal level, that's not where I go. I believe the hope of America and the hope of the world is the kingdom of God, not politics. And I'm not a political person. I'm not sharing these things with you this morning because I want to sway you one direction or another. 
But I think it's really, really important that at this season in our country, at this season, even as we celebrate our independence and a bunch of things that are great, that we acknowledge all of the things that aren't great and that we as the people of God, we also say, I think it's us that are supposed to do something about that. I think it's us that are supposed to treat every single human being equally. I think it's us that are supposed to be reaching out in love and loving our enemies and freaking everybody out because that's not normal. I think it's us that are supposed to be praying for the people that we disagree with and the people who disagree with us. I think it's us that are supposed to be trying to heal this nation and not demanding that someone else does. And however God leads you to make that choice, to be his hands and feet in this world, even if that does include demanding some things from other people as well, that's between you and God. That is not me telling you what to do from this place where I tell you what God's word says. But I know that as the people of God, we are the hope. We are the salt. We are the light. His plan is not that we all become Republicans or Democrats or any other random thing like that. His hope is that his people live out his will. Here's one of the places where he kind of makes his will simple and clear. Let's say this one out loud together. James 1:27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. One more time, let's say that together. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's start at the end and work our way back. Refusing to let the world corrupt you means a lot of things. Straight up sin, straight up a lot of things. But sometimes, I, I, I've said this already and I will say it many times over the course of this summer, sometimes even really corrupt people tell the truth. We've got to be honest enough and confident enough in our position as God's people to listen to voices that we don't agree with 100%. And maybe they're going to tell us at least a little bit of truth that we need to hear. But we cannot let them corrupt us. We cannot become part of that vision more than we are part of God's vision. Our identity, our heart, our hope is in God primarily. And whatever else we get involved in and whatever else we are campaigning for and asking for and protesting for and whatever else has to be an expression of that, not the other way around. Does that make sense? When God talks about widows and orphans, he's talking about literally widows and orphans. And also he uses this metaphorically throughout his word. Wid widows and orphans in their culture were people who did not have an identity where they had a built-in support system. They were people who, this system, it was not a just system really. Women were lesser than men in that era, that, but legally speaking, not in God's eyes, but it was hard. If you were an orphan, you didn't have a dad, a husband in your life at that point. You really needed someone to help. And God says, guess what? My people are supposed to create those systems. My people are supposed to be the ones who take care of those who need a family and need extensions, need systems that support them and help them survive and thrive, that raise those children, that empower those women. Are you with me? And that's true. This is part of God's vision for all of us. Not because someone is yelling it over here 
or yelling it over here, but because God is just relentlessly speaking it in love to and through his people. Isaiah 1, again, this is that same passage we looked at a second ago. We're about to wrap up here. I hope that you guys don't lose me. This is so important here. When you lift up your hands in prayer, God says, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. What he's talking about here is this context. He's saying, you're not living justly in this moment. So I'd rather you didn't even worship quote unquote, at all. I'd rather you don't even pray. And I'm not listening when you pray because you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. But listen, listen, that's not the end of the story. Even at this dark, dark, dark moment in Israel's history, listen to the rest of what he's saying through the prophet Isaiah. Wash your hands and be clean. Have you seen that posted a lot of places lately? (laughs) Me too. Wash your hands and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of the widows. Notice that he believes they still could do this. He's not just saying, I'm upset that you don't. He's not judging them and saying, hey, you guys are, I'm done with you guys. He's saying, you need to do this. You need to do this. And when you do, there's hope. Listen, this is probably one of the more famous lines in the Bible. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Ever heard this one before? That's the context. He's saying, you're completely missing the boat, but I'm giving you another chance. Let's do this together. Let's make this happen. Be my people. Don't miss the grace and the mercy in that. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And guess what? There's really only, I'm just being straight up. I'm not being arrogant. I'm telling you the truth. There's only one real kind of love that can actually really change the world. And that's God's love. It's not your definition of love. It's not my definition of love. It's not theirs or theirs or theirs or theirs. It's God's definition of love could actually fix things. And guess who knows that? God your heavenly father and mine, and you, because he's put it in his word and he's given you a chance to interact with it. Often, however you're interacting with it, you can know this. We can do this. We can fix things. Because it's God's battle, not ours. We've got to celebrate God's goodness and his glory. We've got to unite around his goodness in his glory. We've got to remember that he prefers justice and unity over songs and prayers, but he really wants both. That's what he really wants. Today we're going to join several different churches around the world for a prayer for our nation and also for the kingdom of God. As we pray, I'm going to put some things up on the screen here that we'll say out loud together and then give you just a few minutes of space where you could just pray this and make this personal to you as you talk to God. 
We, we don't require people to stand or kneel or raise their hands or not or anything here. But I invite you, this is a time where if you've been going, can't we do that? Can we not get on our knees? Can we not bow down before God physically in this place? Yes, you can. We're totally cool with that. And this would be a wonderful moment for you to do that if you'd like. But we're going to all approach God right before the song happens. We're going to pray these things together. And I, again, we're going to say these out loud. And then I, I want to give you some space where you make this very personal prayer to God. We're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our nation. And then we're going to make whatever choice we need to make as we stand and sing together. You on board? Ready? Here we go. First thing. Say this to God with me. We proclaim that you are good and glorious. Second bold statement. Let's say it together. We unite in our desire to honor your name. Once again, let's say this part together. We unite in our hunger for justice. One last big statement. We ask you to guide us and we pledge to obey. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.